This is the Education Gadfly Show. I didn't know Tom Cruise had such high standards. I thought. Uh, I mean, he does what he does very well. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming our special guest for this week, the maverick of education reform, the John McCain of education policy, Paige Kowalski. Hi, Mike. Uh, it was not gender specific. I, I just have nothing on pop culture uh, this week. It, it appears it's been, a, it's been a slower, dry week. Yeah. I know, but you are a maverick, Paige. You, you are. You have the gadfly instinct inside you. I know this from uh, our conversations and interactions online and in, in person. That that you think outside the box. Tom Cruise was also maverick. So I, uh, let's go with that one. Then I'm sorry, I don't want to. Be, <laughs> you don't want to be John. McCain. No disrespect to John McCain, but I don't want to be sick. Yes. Yeah. Well, this is true. Yes. This is true. I don't, I'm not mean in that way. And yes, Maverick, I know. I've been telling my, my sons that we need to watch Top Gun. Do you think I can show that to them? It didn't age well. I've really? I've never yeah. seen it. So. <gasps> no. What? Sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, and Alyssa oh, Schwenk uh, is here. I enjoy here. these. Alyssa, <laughs> who likes to remind us all the time. Oh, uh, just tell old just, we are. You know, when it's a light touch. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, Kelly McGinnis, I tell you. That was might have been one of my first I've crushes. Seen... And I do remember being, uh, I mean, how old was I when Tom when, when Top Gun came out? It was 1985. All right. So 12. And I, I remember taking the, there was an ad in a new in a magazine that I had ripped out that showed Tom Cruise and Kelly McGinnis together in their bomber jackets and I took it to the barber and said make me look like him <laughs> I used he to did do not that. succeed I used to do that with Rachel Green's haircuts in like second grade uh-huh. when Friends was big yeah yeah. So there, yeah. We, same well, thing wait. same thing second grade, second grade <laughs> second when grade. Friends was big <laughs> Anyway, so Paige is the executive vice president at the Data Quality Campaign. And guess what we're going to talk about? Data, people. We are talking about data, but don't, da, 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 don't turn, don't, don't go for that switch. Data is fun and exciting, as Paige can tell you, right? Data is very fun and exciting. Evidence always is. Evidence always is. is no arguments here. Facts matter. Facts matter. Okay, good. Lots to talk about. Hey, I'm, I'm rested. I'm back from vacation. And, and Paige has had a vacation a while ago and then had to be on a trial. We won't talk about that. But I man. was not on trial. <laughs> I, I, I thought right. we should clarify. I was on a jury. I was a juror, not a, not a defendant. Not a defendant. For people who don't live in D.C., you don't understand. If you live in the District of Columbia, this is an experience you get to have. At, At least, least once what? and probably Usually more, more yeah. yeah. Be, uh, because something about the, just such a small number, the, the jury pool is. Jury pool is small. And yes, the mm. uh, and, and the crime rate is high. Is that it? Not really. No, it's I don't come think down the crime. No, it's high. just a small, no, small jury pool. No, and right at the end, the judge laughed and said, "See you in a few years." Uh, so we we weren't God. amused. Mm. Okay, but uh, hey, so we've been away, but we are refreshed and excited to talk about education reform. Let's do it. Let's have our time for education reform update. I'm a little rusty as well, <laughs> as you can see. I wasn't as smooth as I sometimes am. Rusty and refreshed. Rusty and refreshed all at the same time. All right, we're talking it's- data, Paige. Look, hey, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I made an argument in the gadfly saying that, you know, I don't see a lot happening on the education policy front in the next few years, partly because of dysfunction in Washington that I fear is spreading to the states, uh, partly because people are just exhausted. We're just spent. We have been reforming, 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 uh, passing one law after another for so long. People need a break and that the action is going to be at the local level. And I'm curious when it comes to data, Paige, you guys have done a lot of great work over the years to encourage states to build 
great state data systems, which we're now using uh, to provide information to teachers and parents to uh, do fantastic education research. But this stuff is built. Uh, and other than defending it, making sure it doesn't go away, we don't go backwards. What What is next on the data front? Is is your mission accomplished? Are you uh, like Tom Cruise or, or more like a George W. Bush in a, in a Tom Cruise bomber jacket declaring mission accomplished? I've now asked, I've now made you into a John McCain and George W. Bush. How do you like this? <laughs> and Tom Cruise. And Tom Cruise. And Tom Cruise. I'll okay. stay with Kelly, Kelly McGillis. McGillis. Would you like to be Kelly, Kelly McGillis? She was an astrophysicist, so you can call me Dr. Yes. Kowalski. There it is. I heard they're remaking that movie, by the way. Uh, oh, they better get it right. Yeah. I'd like to see the female pilot this time. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, my first so, time seeing it. Continuing on. All right. All right, all right. So, and uh, about the data. What, what What's next? I mean, so, the work in data is never done. So, we've built systems, mm-hmm. but, you know, you can buy a car and you can... You can buy a, a juicer. We have a juicer at home, but you got to use it. Otherwise, you don't get any value out of yeah, it. Nobody just, uses juicers. It's they? just, I know. It's just a <laughs> fancy gadget that sits on your counter. And we don't want data systems to be fancy gadgets, right? The point was not a new cool place to store all the data that we're collecting yeah. and report it out. The point was we need to use data. And so we think the hardest work is actually left to be done, which mm-hmm. is around use. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree with what you wrote around state policy. Um, but I also know that policymakers want to act. And they... They, they, they want to move forward. They don't necessarily need or want, nor should we have a new big thing to shift attention to. Mm-hmm. Implementation is going to now take mm-hmm. some time and we have to get it right at local levels to realize those policies. But at the same time, there's real work for them to do. And we think data is a big piece of it. We just put out a report called Time to Act 2017, put data in the hands of people about a week or so ago. Mm-hmm. And in it, we um, sort of summarized a year's worth of our research into our four policy priorities for state policymakers and sort of laid out a state of play across the nation and the evidence that mm-hmm. we're finding. And what we found is there is a lot of work to be done to get data into the hands of people. Mm-hmm. Right. So we've got these data systems, but that doesn't mean that, for example, parents actually have access to data that's been collected on their kid mm-hmm. so they can find out how are they doing and where are their strengths and weaknesses and are they on track or not. Uh, in some cases, teachers don't have as much access uh, or they haven't had the training to know, well, what do I do with this stuff? Right. Uh, right. And so that's stuff we got to work on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I also think that another area where DQC is doing a ton of work and is really necessary is in just helping inform people about how they can use the data. It's not just even the access. It's a question of how do you use it and how do you have conversations about really sensitive subjects like kids' performance in sort of a thoughtful and compassionate and future-oriented way without making a parent feel that it's their fault or a teacher that it's their fault because then we just don't see progress. Well, right. I mean, here, here let, let's get specific, right? Uh, we still have a country where most parents think their kids are doing fine, right? I mean, that was the latest, mm-hmm. uh, the Learning Heroes research from a year ago. I think a new survey from them is supposed to come out pretty soon. We'll see if that's changed at all. 90% of parents thought their kids were on track. And we know that parents aspire for their kids to go to college, by and large. Uh, you know, we can drill that down into what that means and whether that's the right aspiration. But, you know, parents have these high a- aspirations for their kids and think they're doing well and get this big surprise at the end of the K-12 system. That, oh, sorry, your kid. Uh, yes, they got a diploma, but they're not actually ready for college. Um, so, uh, you know, this question of how could we get data into the hands of teachers and parents and get people to have an honest conversation early about whether the, the child is actually on track? And if not, what can be done to get them on track? I mean, what's it going to take, Paige? Is, I mean, is that something that to me doesn't sound like something I can't think of a state law that a governor could sign that could make that happen? 
Oh, I can. (laughs) (laughs) But I will write it for you, governors. All right. I don't think everything needs to be in law. And I actually think if you can provide something of value to parents, you're going to see more demand than you could ever have from a a mandated uh, state law. But while 90% of of parents believe that their child is on track, is getting a good education, at the same time, we know that only 36% of public school parents strongly agree that they have easy access to the information they need to make sure their child is getting a good education. So there's a huge disconnect there. You wonder mm-hmm. what are those 90% of parents basing this belief on? We all, I'm a parent. I want to believe my child is doing well. Mm-hmm. But when I get something, when I get evidence that shows he's not, especially mm-hmm. repeated evidence over time, not like, well, he bombed that one test, but mm-hmm. he'd been sick. Repeated evidence over time, you start to ask better questions about what your child is actually doing in school all day. And you start to demand some and- answers mm-hmm. or at least some resources from your school and, and real honest conversations based around the data uh, with your teachers and principals. I mean, it's it feels to me like we need a serious effort to engage teachers and train teachers to be able to themselves look at all the data. Let's say we said to them, look, you're a fourth grade teacher. We expect once a year for you to sit down with each parent and you know look at all the data, meaning the test scores, but also grades and assignments and everything else, and be able to explain to the parent what this all means and have some sense to be able to also say, what does it mean for the child's future? Are they on track? If you're thinking about fourth grade, all right, in a few years, you're going to be into middle school. Is that child on track to be able to go into advanced courses in middle school? If they're in middle school, are they on track to be able to go into AP classes in high school? If they're in high school, you know, to, to be able and, and to be able to have the honest conversation that for two thirds of the kids out there, the answer is no, they are not on track. I mean, and, and to me, it seems like all the incentives in our system are to avoid that conversation. Nobody wants to tell the parents that because, of course, the parents are going to say, oh, my God, my college and kids are not on track. Well, what are you going to do about mm-hmm. it? How are you going to fix this problem? And we don't have a good answer. Yeah, I mean, I also think, and Paige, I know you guys did some surveying around this question as well, but it's really hard for teachers, I think, to find the time to really delve deeply into data, which is another, I think, block in having those conversations and being really strategic about the use of data. Yeah, I think time is a real problem. And you both actually actually alluded to it, Mike, you with the one time a year conversation Mm -hmm. and then the time to dive in and really understand Mm -hmm. it. Because if a teacher doesn't really understand the information and what it says and Mm -hmm. how they can act on it, they're not going to feel comfortable having the conversation with the parent about what it means. Is it a principal? Is it a counselor? I don't know. Is there some role out there? Some This should be somebody's job, right? Absolutely. But I I think it starts with it's got to be more than just once a year, right? I mean, you wouldn't do that Mm -hmm. in your office. You wouldn't at the end of the fiscal year haul people in and say, here's how you performed. You would want to, you don't want that to be the first time you hear no, that you're performing better. You're not, I know. I was trying to help you, Alyssa. I, I think you that needs to be a summation conversation, yeah. not a, you know, you need to know as time is going. Don't tell me at the end that my kid didn't learn anything this year. Um, so I think we're, we're getting more towards what is the conversation? And we've seen lots of really good innovations out there. Um, and again, why a state law isn't always the right way, but some good innovations at local levels about bringing students into those conversations mm-hmm. and having students present their goals, their data, what they're going to do, how they're going to get there, mm-hmm. um, how parents can help, um, what the school is going to provide and how they're going to help. Those are great conversations, but it's those multiple conversations per year. And on the time front, we need more in teacher prep. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a paper coming out about that soon. Um, but we also need that ongoing 
professional development that is happening in the school with data coaches, Mm -hmm. with assessment folks that help them unpack the data, that help them look at other sources of data, not just Mm -hmm. assessment, um, but behavior and attendance and interim and grades and, and, you know, other kinds of behavior data. Mm -hmm. A lot of parents are really concerned about, you know, is my child getting along with other kids in school? You know, Mm -hmm. the big, bad social emotional learning, that's data parents really care about. Luckily, Checker is not here today to dive into that one. But yeah, no, that's a real, I think parents, given kind of how the conversation has been in the last like eight years, and I'm not a parent, so feel free to correct me, but like, I think parents are very concerned about kids being just considered a test score and understanding that data can be all these sorts of things that kind of feed into how we can better help and support a kid. I think that's a really important mindset shift that is critical to having these conversations. Absolutely. And and one test is one test and none of us would ever want to be judged on one test. Um, but I think that it kind of goes back to evidence. You know, you need to convince me. And I was just on a jury. And I have all these words in my head, you know, based on the preponderance of evidence, what conclusion can you draw beyond a reasonable doubt? Mm -hmm. And it really struck me sitting there that they focus so much on that reasonable doubt and that we read the, we read the definition over and over and over again. Your reasonable doubt has to be based on evidence Mm -hmm. or lack of, it can't just be, here's what I think, or here's what I feel. You had to back it up with something Mm -hmm. and you had to demonstrate it and show Mm -hmm. that that meant something and it was real. It can't just be a guess. And I think we have a high bar in our justice system around that, which was Mm -hmm. comforting to see, but I don't know that we have that bar yet in education. Well, and, and, and I would, I mean, we talk about evidence, you know, when choosing curriculum or making decisions, mm-hmm. that's all fine. But but this key, before a teacher or a principal is allowed to tell a parent that your kid is doing fine, what is the evidence that they are actually doing fine? And if the, do they have a clear idea? If the parent thinks doing fine means on track to go to college someday, what is the evidence for that? And and I think, the you know, the, the answer for a lot of kids out there is no, that is not high enough. Right. And people just mm-hmm. don't understand they think if you're at the 50th percentile and therefore, quote, on grade level, you're doing fine, except only a third of kids are graduating college ready. So by definition, 50% 50th percentile is not high enough. Right. right? If be- we could just help teachers understand that, as you say, in teacher prep, that would be a huge transformation mm-hmm. in my mind. You must be really fun during your own kids as parent-teacher conferences. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I think yeah. it's it's making sure that teachers have the other evidence, yeah. right? And that it's accessible yeah. in, in an easy way and that you can put it together because you need each piece of evidence to corroborate yeah. mm-hmm. the other pieces, Look, right? When you mm-hmm. say, here's where they are on test scores, okay, now back that up with other evidence, mm-hmm. portfolios, yes. And, and we have a bias as parents. We want to be, look, it's it's a tricky thing. I mean, of course we want to know if our kid's not doing well or there's a problem so we can address it. But at the same time, I think there is a bias. We want to hear that mm-hmm. our kid is doing good because you know why? That tells us that we are doing good. Mm-hmm. Tells, you're a good parent. Mm-hmm. You've chosen a good school. Your child's flourishing. Yay for you. Mm-hmm. And we are inclined to hear that. I'm not, none of this is easy. But oh God, the fact that there are two thirds of kids out there who uh, need to be working harder, who need to be getting pushed harder, who need to be doing more homework, whatever the answer is. Supported better. Supported better. And they don't know it. And the parents don't know it. Drives me crazy. So that's the next thing we got to fix, uh, Paige. It drives that's me the crazy. right answer. It What's drives me crazy data? too. And without having good information in teachers' and parents' hands, we're never going to get there. All right. Paige Kowalski, the, uh, you know, uh, well, the, the many uh, various Republicans uh, <laughs> I'm just teasing you. I'm just teasing my, my good friend, uh, Paige. Yes, you're not John McCain. You're not George W. Bush. You're the Kelly Girl. doctor. 
McGinnis. They're all also much older than me. <laughs> yes, this is true too. I'm only 25. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. Uh, all right, good. Hey, no, this is exciting. We got to continue this conversation. I do think we're going to be thinking a lot more in coming uh, weeks, months, and years about how to get things to happen in the real world at the local level and uh, in acknowledging that there may not be a policy level necessarily to make that happen. So we got to think of other creative ways uh, to get good stuff to spread. Uh, it's happening. The good things are happening in lots of schools out there. It's how do we get it to happen in more of those schools. Absolutely. Going forward. All right. Thank you. This is all the time we have for the education reform update. As I stumble over, it's just hard coming back to work after being gone, Alyssa. It's hard. I have the world's tiniest violin for you. Did, did, you enjoy, did, did the Fordham staff enjoy me being away? It was quieter. Uh-huh. All right. Now it's time for everyone's favorite Amber's Research Minute. Welcome back to the show, Amber. Thank you, Mike. We were just talking with Paige about Top Gun, uh, Maverick, How among other Maverick. You know, that- Tom Cruise as Maverick, <laughs> John McCain as Maverick. So, oh, I'm so excited about it coming back. I mean, how cool is that? It, so I'm nervous because I <laughs> loved the first one. It was such I a know. huge Everybody's part of my saying childhood. That, but Tom Cruise said if, if it wasn't great, he would never do it. So it better be great, right? Wait, he's, Wait what do you mean he's doing he's, it? What he, is he? He, he said it, right? Is I mean, he? if he is, he's very he's well not preserved. The, oh, he's, he's like, not oh, Maverick. Okay, okay, well, he's like in it, but he's not the star. He's not the guy. Yeah, but I mean, he. I thought I read an interview that said he wasn't even going to sign on at all unless it was like a spectacular script. So, well, no. I'm holding out hope. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know Tom Cruise had such high standards. I thought, uh, I mean, he does what he does very well and in a very well-preserved right. fashion. Yes. He does, but he's getting a little old, right? To yeah. be the big yeah, top yeah. No, guy. he can't be the, the 20-something, right. you know, hot shot. Uh, I know, right. No, so who's pilot. he going to be anyway? I mean, I haven't thought this I through. don't know. Maybe he'll be the one of the instructors or something. Right. I've yeah. never been involved in a pop, con- <laughs> pop culture conversation where I have so little to uh, You <laughs> need to go watch the movie, okay? Tonight. Seriously, yes. not seen it? Yeah, oh, not my. seen the movie. Wowza. Yeah, Wowza. Wowza. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Oosh. We need to fill in the gaps in Alyssa's uh, movie 80, going. 80s movies, I do have a serious lack of knowledge. Yes. All, right. All right. What do you have for us today? I'm going to fill you in on knowledge from coming from Tim Sass and Lee Fing in the AEFP Journal. This is my, I've got to admit, my third research minute from the summer edition of the AEFP Journal. Well, people just are saying it. just it's the best ever. It. Uh, It examines how teacher quality as measured, of course, by value-added data and teacher mobility are related. Analysts utilize teacher quality and mobility data in Florida from 2001 uh, 00 to 1 through 0304. So just a few years there. Uh, They use matched student teacher panel data that includes math and reading teachers in grades 4 through 10. I'm cutting to the findings because I know sometimes we go long. Sometimes my colleagues go long. Yes. Anyway, key findings for both math and reading. And there's some new stuff here. I know we've got like a ton of stuff on teacher mobility and teacher quality, but there's some new wrinkles, okay? The average quality of teachers who stay at their initial school is higher than that of teachers who switch schools within their initial district, move to another district, or leave public teaching together altogether. So the stayers are the higher performing, Mm. higher value added Mm. teachers, okay? Compared to the ones who leave, move to another district or leave altogether. Related better than average and worse than average teachers, so meaning those in the bottom and the top quartiles, have both a better turnover rate compared with middling teachers, okay? So better than average, your, your top performers and your worst performers have a higher turnover rate compared with the middling teachers. Turnover meaning? Leaving. Leaving. Le- but, I mean, it could be leaving the school, leaving the profession. profession right. That's Either right. or. Either okay. or. 
Um, for example, teachers in the middle 50% of the quality distribution have a 20% lower odds of leaving than do teachers in the lowest quartile. Okay. Mm-hmm. But if they stay, they're higher performing than if they leave on average. If they stay, right. The ones okay. who stay are the ones at the top and the bottom. Uh, okay, okay. Right. Okay, uh, analysts say this is consistent with schools losing their best teachers to more attractive outside options and losing their worst teachers who may be better suited to other occupations, okay? Uh, They also find that as the share of peer teachers with more experience, advanced degrees, or professional certification increases, the likelihood of moving within the district decreases. Mm -hmm. So it could suggest that peer teachers, the, the peers that have the better qualifications, quote, may be more likely to provide positive spillovers or otherwise enhance the work environment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, this is not new, but they find in general teachers tend to move to schools where students have higher achievement, a smaller fraction of students who are black, and a mm-hmm. smaller proportion of students who are low income. Mm-hmm. Okay. But they also, and this is the new part, they dig in and they dive deeper and they find that teachers who move tend to go to a school where the average teacher quality is like their own. So, uh, for instance, the fraction of top quartile movers hired by schools whose faculty is in the top quartile is much higher than that of schools whose faculty is in the bottom quartile. So, in other words, if you're an average teacher, you move to an average school. If you're a bottom quartile teacher, you move to a bottom quartile school. Um, And the net result is, once again, that uh, we have this exacerbating, right, in, in teacher quality differences across the various schools. So, the, the new part here is that the high and the low teachers are more likely to leave and that the there's this campus peer effects going on um, where you've got these peers that can have uh, impacts. So they try to end on a policy note and say, you know what, we've got to offer more money. That's one thing that we've tried to teach in these schools serving this disadvantaged kids. That can work, but you also have to obviously pay attention to the quality of the people you're recruiting yeah. and the impact now that it could have on teachers who are already there. And and it makes you wonder, the, the low performers moving to another school, is this the dance of the lemons? Uh, right. I mean, mm-hmm. if one thing, if they're leaving the profession, if they're just going to another school, school, it is the dance of the lemons. Yes, right, it is. And even in, and this is in Florida, mm-hmm. where right. it's a lot easier to fire teachers than in most places. That's right. All right. Is, but is it the dance of the lemons or is it the teachers sort of like within however much mobility they have, kind of choosing a school that more matches to Right. Their, yeah. Like I'm thinking. Yeah. I mean, it could be, right? Low like, performing I mean, and you're in a high performing school. Like that yeah. might be, that's a fit. That you don't see, that you you get that everybody else is playing on, mm. on a different field than you are. Yeah. <laughs> and mm. you might mm. uh, choose to leave. I don't know. Um, but it is interesting that, that you've got this sort of match going on, right? Mm-hmm. That, you know, that whether it's subconsciously mm-hmm. on the teacher's part or on the administrator's part saying, eh, maybe it's better for you over here. Mm-hmm. Um, we just don't know. I mean, this study doesn't dig into that. But um, but to, to, to see that these sort of matching appears at all different levels of the mm-hmm. quality distribution is pretty yeah. interesting. These are also big districts in Florida, uh, which I bring up. So I've been thinking about this lately. We always get this email at the end of the year in our elementary school where the principal says, well, please, uh, you know, join me and we're, we're going to miss the following teachers who are going elsewhere and we've got new staff coming and mm-hmm. and usually the line with the teachers and I never know if this is really honest or not, but yeah. is that uh, so-and-so is, is leaving to be closer to her own home. Ah. Uh, you know, which makes sense. I mean, if you're a teacher and you're teaching in a big district and you can have a five-minute commute instead of a 45-minute right. commute, you're going to take that, right? Yep. Yes. Now in Montgomery County, because it's such an expensive county, that often means that the teachers are actually going to more affordable parts of the county where the schools are more diverse, mm-hmm. right? And so they may be okay. good teachers going to serve kids who are 
poorer than they are. And, uh, anyway, but I just be mm-hmm. curious how this all plays out. In right. Florida, it may be that these are teachers who want to live in the nicer parts of these counties and so they want to teach in the nicer parts of the counties. Uh, you know, not necessarily because they've decided they want to don't want to teach poor minority kids, but because it's five minutes from their house. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's hard to fix. How do you overcome that? I, yeah. I don't know. No, not having a uh, residential housing assignment for schools. Yeah. Um, there was an interesting fact we kind of buried in here, which I didn't have time, but um, that high, more effective teachers often go to the schools that have higher reported discipline rates. And they were like saying that makes no sense, like completely mm. counterintuitive. Um, but they think it's that the higher performing schools are actually more likely to report discipline uh, infractions. Gotcha. They're just not lying about <laughs> it. Right. Like, and look, it, it also look That's it, it also, a fun data <laughs> And some of these studies that they're demonstrating what we sort of know about workplaces in general. People yes. care a lot about who their boss is and mm-hmm. they care a lot about who their, who their colleagues right. are and they want to work with great people. That's right. right. And this is yet another reason why I tend to be so bullish on charter schools, at least high-performing ones, mm-hmm. that can, from scratch, put together Build a fantastic team. team and yeah. attract mm-hmm. good people. Bring in a culture. Yeah, that that's super important. I, and, and look, again, we got to wonder, in Florida, so much more flexibility around hiring and firing mm-hmm. than most other places. Mm-hmm. So it'd be interesting if we had the data to see right. if it would come, if it would... Uh, any of this stuff would play out differently in other mm-hmm. places. Yeah, so. it would also be interesting. And I think I just saw something in Education Next about teacher eval in D.C. and whether any of these districts had a really rigorous teacher eval program and whether mm-hmm. or not that influenced the conversations with the teachers who are high-performing or low-performing and influenced their decisions to switch. With counseling them out. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Cool stuff. Yeah. Thank hey, you, you know, I think this will be my last one out of the summer edition of AFP. I think three is... Like there's only six of yeah. them, right? So yeah, that's fine. Hey, we should now. I mean, from now on, for the next several weeks, we should be in back to back to school season. Yes, you know, mm-hmm. it is that time of year. The kids in Georgia Somehow. are already going back. So that means we're going to even more research studies. Is that yes? What you mean? Yes, and they should all relate to going back to school. <laughs> Effects of uh, bus drivers on whether or not kids Ooh. make it to school. It's important stuff. All right, thank you, Amber. That's all the time we got for this week. Until next week, I'm Melissa Schwenk, and I am Mike Petrilli at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.